The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. Good evening, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Back When with me, Scottish Danny, and the great Ty Peters. How are you, sir? Danny, it's always a pleasure, my friend. I, I can't wait to discuss uh, some wrestling for this episode, and I'll let you introduce more of that concept. It was your choice. Uh, tell us what we're going to be talking about. So today we're going to be talking about the October 13th, 2006 edition of Friday Night Smackdown. And there's a reason I chose this episode is because as wrestling fans, we always go through hot periods and cold periods of when we love wrestling or when we just can't stand it. And sure. this, this episode um, was instrumental in getting me back into wrestling. Um, I've taken a couple of months off. Um, there were some dark times in 2006 and 2007, things like that. So I do remember watching this at a friend's house on Sky Sports 3 or 1. I remember it was, it was alternating between them, but I do remember, and I clearly remember the opening match where we'll be talking about in a minute. But yeah, just before we get into it, um, Ty, how did you find this episode overall? I found this episode uh, very intriguing. It, it was a great show, just like you mentioned, uh, this uh post-edition of SmackDown following No Mercy. So it, it was incredible. Uh, I'm glad you chose this one, Danny, and I, I can't wait to uh, have the conversation more with you. And there was so much action, also very uh, solid segments as well all throughout the program. And uh, I can't remember if I was still watching this at this time or not, but I'm sure glad you uh, gave me this as an example to go back and review because it was uh, as I was taking my notes, I was taken aback by just how well executed everything was uh, back in 2006 because there was that period as well for me that I was not watching wrestling uh, that much. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that we it just it's really peaks and valleys when you think of wrestling. It's it's just like I mean you, you just feel, especially with today's wrestling, you're just like oh should I be watching this or should I be doing something else with my time? Everybody can relate to that because hmm. we get busy doing other things uh, even today, and it's just like as much as we want to consume as much of the wrestling content, it's so difficult, and it's a nice change of pace. I think for all of us to go back even. We're uh, talking 2006, watching this episode of SmackDown. There was so much going on that I had even forgot about. But thanks to you uh, choosing this topic, it definitely uh, triggered a lot of uh, fond memories. Oh, that's brilliant. And speaking of memories, um, let's just get straight into it. So we opened SmackDown with a really cool No Mercy 2006 um, sort of like a replay package of the best moments and the worst moments, certainly. But um, have you seen um, No Mercy 2006, Ty? You know what, Danny? I have not. And it makes me want to go back and watch it. There's a, even a lot of pay-per-views I miss. So I, I don't recall 
ever getting to uh, view No Mercy from 2006, but that highlight video package was just uh, incredible. I, I loved how they got the storylines across, and there was so much going on with Undertaker facing Mr. Kennedy, who was the United States champion, and Rey Mysterio uh, wrestling Chavo Guerrero. You had Chris Benoit taking on William Regal and Booker T versus Finley versus Batista versus Lashley. And uh, so there was just so much on yeah. that show. And we would get a, a similar uh, formula on this SmackDown. Yeah. Oh, definitely. They threw a lot at the wall. But as we get into that wall, um, we first have uh, Mr. Kennedy coming out to for what he thinks is just an in-ring promo. Um, and I thought this segment, this whole segment that lasted nearly 20 minutes, which turned into a match, um, was excellently booked. Um, Mr. Kennedy comes out and says that he demands to go to Raw because he's sick and tired of facing a competition on SmackDown. But really, as a fan, if you're watching this, you know it's because he wants to run away from The Undertaker and he's just trying to save face here. Um, what did you think of this segment, uh, Ty? Mr. Kennedy was one of those uh, wrestlers and just his overall character that you wanted to see him get beat up. He did his job because he was so talented at making you just want to see him get his just due by somebody else. And he would uh, a little bit later on, just actually moments uh, that would follow this opening segment. But Mr. Kennedy, it's a shame we didn't get more years out of his career in the mm -hmm. WWE. I mean, he certainly is still wrestling, I think, on the indies and, and reappeared in NWA, that revival yeah. of sorts. And uh, I think if you needed a guy that could talk and get some heat as the, they use that terminology, Mr. Kennedy was that guy. So I liked it. Oh, yeah, big time. And I fully agreed with you because as we recorded this, uh, Jeff Jarrett has just debuted in uh, All Elite Wrestling. And I think instead of Jeff Jarrett, uh, imagine if that was Mr. Kennedy or Mr. Anderson. That would have just been phenomenal. Oh, it would have been great. But I am happy, even though I didn't get an opportunity to watch AEW Dynamite from last night. I, I certainly read about it and heard about the news of Jeff Jarrett, Double J, making his debut in AEW. So are we going to get the Sting, Double J feud? Or maybe because we saw Darby take the guitar shot, and I saw your tweet at yeah. another fan. So maybe they're going to recreate that, you know, going back to the Impact days. Oh, yeah. And then going back even further to the WCW days, aren't we? But yeah, WCW as well. Yeah, can't yeah. leave out World Championship Wrestling. They had a history uh, even before TNA was a thing. Yeah, definitely. And um, so in this uh, opening segment, uh, Mr. Kennedy's trying to run away. He's like, oh, I need to get out of here. I need to go to Raw. And then um, out comes Teddy Long, and he's just saying, like, oh, we know what your plan is. If you can defeat this mystery opponent, and this is going to be a theme for the night, mystery opponents. But if you can defeat this mystery opponent, then you get to go to Raw, and you, you just vacate the United States Championship. And then the mystery opponent is Chris Benoit. And obviously, we know that Chris Benoit is a sensitive um, subject, but this, um, going back in research, and this I found was his actually television return after a eight-month sabbatical or six to eight months. But no, you're you're correct. Yeah. It, it was a return. 
Yeah, yeah. So he returned on the pay-per-view, but this was his television debut. So the last time, if people had been watching SmackDown at this era, was he was getting absolutely mauled by Mark Henry in a segment, and he got written off of television because he needed a much-needed break. I've always stated um, on social media and things like that, he did not get enough time away from the ring um, because uh, I think he needed at least a year off after Eddie Guerrero's death. And um, what do you think about that time? I mean, do you think he came back too soon here? I think you made a point. It could have been too soon uh, mm. for Chris Benoit. We all know how close he and Eddie Guerrero were, and that did take a toll. I mean, imagine losing your best friend, who you were closest to, your confidant, and Eddie Guerrero, and uh, how tight they were, that whole relationship. And we saw the emotion on the tribute. Uh, I believe it was Raw, where they, they paid homage to Eddie Guerrero, and you could tell just those emotions were were flowing out of Chris Benoit, the tears rolling down his his face. Uh, so it, it may have been too soon. Now, definitely for the storyline and having a big hot angle, it worked. And having him at the pay-per-view, him and Regal went to war. That's a match alone I want to watch. As, as much as I support The Undertaker and Mysterio, all those people, Booker T, Fit Finley, and Batista and Lashley, uh, it makes me want to go back and watch the Regal Benoit match because I got to imagine that one was physical. I mean, from the blood oh. that, you know, that, that they opened themselves up during that match. I think yeah. the flying headbutt by Benoit. Yeah, that I mean, soon coming soon to a cheap plug to a one man's meat podcast. We're going to be looking at around this time. Chris Benoit and William Regal had a, a very violent series of matches on Velocity that absolutely nobody remembers or nobody talks about because it just flew under the radar. But there was about three matches that had. Chris Benoit versus William Regal on Velocity in a very short period of time, and they were very, very violent. I'm look, I'm looking forward to hearing your perspective on that program. I uh, did not even realize about the Velocity matches that Benoit Regal had. But going back to Eddie Guerrero and whether it was too soon for Chris Benoit, the Canadian crippler, I know it's a sensitive subject, but you can't deny the man's wrestling ability. His mm. talent in ring was just at another level, a whole nother level. Uh, oh, to say the time. least. And uh, I think he probably did need more time, knowing what we know now with uh, whether it was uh, trauma to the head, too many uh, shots, that flying headbutt, you know, executing those maneuvers. It's all speculation. I, I don't want to even go into that. Yeah. Uh, I'm just trying to remember the man more fondly and uh, put a positive spin on it. And for what he did as a performer, it was uh, just he was an all-star. Definitely, mate. Definitely, and he—they uh, have a really good match backwards and forwards and things like that. Mister Kennedy's doing a lot of heel work, and actually, I did, I, as I was watching this, I was thinking, oh, I wonder if Mister Kennedy won this because I can't really remember the finish. But then we get the Undertaker's music um, playing out of nowhere, and then uh, a horribly—I I just have to call a spade a spade—a horribly. Um, Pre-cuts, obviously, the Undertaker wasn't there. I mean, you could tell that too, couldn't you, Ty? Yeah, you can tell. Uh, I got caught up in the moment too because when you hear that music, that iconic theme from the Undertaker, and then you get this silhouette out of the shadows where he's appearing. Yeah. And uh, you made a, another just fantastic point, Danny, that Mr. Kennedy was doing some stalling. He was using yeah. the rubs. I mean, he was trying to escape because Benoit was so aggressive attacking him. So it made sense from a logical 
uh, point of view that he had to try to get outside the ring, do what he could to kind of run from Benoit. Yeah. And then he would come back. But that's what I, I loved about Benoit's approach here. He kept uh, Kennedy off his game, being mm-hmm. more the, the baby face and being vicious. And I mean, the crippler, he was intense. He would uh, definitely technically could get you, but he could use the rubs. We talked about the high risk. And Kennedy was so versatile as well. I always enjoyed his work. And yeah, that was an interesting way to finish it, but it made sense. We just talked about No Mercy, how The Undertaker and Mr. Kennedy had their match. So it yeah. it all fit because you had a distraction to cause him. And then Benoit, I, I like that transition. I think it wasn't even in the end of it, but where he does uh, into the crossface. It was yes. another uh, signature of Benoit's, and I, I don't know why it's escaping me, but it's just that was so smooth. I, I just love the... Uh, how fluid Benoit was at some of those uh, transitions, those sequences of maneuvers. Yeah, oh, so good. And this would be Chris Benoit's final um, reign of the championship, but he would lose it to MVP all the way of, in May of next year. So he had quite the lengthy championship reign. And, oh, he um, did. Yeah, so I was really, really impressed with that. But, yep, Undertaker, he can thank The Undertaker for that because Chris Benoit makes... Mr. Kennedy tap out here and a rare loss for Mr. Kennedy in 2006 because he was winning a lot of matches because they were pushing him. So it was, yeah, he was on a roll. Yeah. Yeah. It was smart of them to get the U S championship off of him in a way that the undertaker cost him the belt. So, and that would continue the undertaker, Mr. Kennedy's feud uh, for another three months, I believe after this. So that was really great. It it, it was good. And, and I just remember Danny, I was having a look at my notes. I'm going to be transparent. It was the sharpshooter into the cross face. That was that uh, movement that I I enjoyed seeing. That was so just effortless by Benoit. Oh, definitely. mate. Yeah. Great call. And then, uh, straight after that, we get, um, a uh, match, which, uh, (laughs) it baffles the mind because Vito, was getting a push here and he's facing William Regal and these two had a sort of a storyline on the previous um, pay-per-view No Mercy where they had various backstage skits of um, William Regal and uh, Vito in the shower and getting food all over themselves. Kind of silly comedy here, but um, what I found, what I really found entertaining of this match was JBL's absolute burial of uh, Vito's character and Vito's gimmick at this point. Um, He's so good. I mean, yeah. JBL is is so just fantastic at burying somebody but in a good way because he's that hill commentator and he's he's yeah. done bradshaw layfield for crying out loud yeah. and that's why people are just in all of him now because yeah you want to not cheer him but yet you you love the guy for coming back returning with uh, baron corbin now so yeah. it's still relevant as we're talking about a uh, smackdown from 2006 till now, it, it's astounding to me how that can correlate and segue. But that's what is the beautiful thing about uh, this passion, this thing we call wrestling sometimes. Yeah, great point, mate. It's, I've always said um, JBL and Michael Cole are my favorite announced team because a lot of the times JBL was speaking, you could just almost you could hear Vince McMahon's words coming out of his mouth as he was abusing Michael Cole or other wrestlers. And uh, back to this match, the uh, William Regal and Vito. Um, I thought this match went a bit too long for me, especially for it being a comedy feud. Um, what did you think of this match, Ty? I thought the match was uh, good for what it was, and, mm. and nothing against Big Vito, but 
uh, credit to William Regal, just how yes. tough, how furious. I, I love how he was attacking him because you brought it up. There was issues back at No Mercy, the backstage kind of uh, comedic elements of this whole rivalry. And that one arm throw was magnificent by Regal mm. on Vito. I mean, that's that British chain wrestling, Danny, that the fan base over there has been accustomed to and the American audience in, in Canada have uh, grown to appreciate. And I'll tell you what, this match did go a little bit long, and I was uh, surprised that Vito did get the victory, but it did make yeah. sense. I had to look at it a different way because he's still getting under the skin of Regal. But just to watch William Regal in any atmosphere involving a wrestling ring was just magic. I always oh. am a fan of anything that William Regal does. Oh, yeah, great points, mate. It's like... I mean, Regal today, is, even today, he's just, you can draw an audience in. Um, and uh, He's a master. Yeah, he really is. And it's really cool that SmackDown opened with, you had Chris Benoit here and you had William Regal putting over new stars like Vito and Mr. Kennedy. So, I mean, the, the veterans are being used um, in a really cool light because later on we'll definitely see a lot of that as well. There's a lot of veterans on this show. You've got Jamie I, Noble. I think that's in, yeah. important what you just uh, said there. Uh, yeah. It was about the established, experienced wrestlers putting over the younger, uh, new generation of talent. Yeah. And what a spotlight they got because, or excuse me, as a result of, let me reword that. Yeah, definitely, man, definitely. So, William Regal attempts a sunset flip, and then Vito just kind of lands on him, doesn't he? And then pins his shoulders to the mat, much to JBL's hatred, who just buries um, Vito just because he's wearing a dress. So, but um, the Vito in a dress, what did you think of that gimmick? Uh, you know, I. I was starting to envision Perry Saturn when he was doing that dress gimmick in WCW. And yeah. I think it was against Jericho. So I was having flashbacks to that a little bit. So uh, it was definitely interesting. That's one way you could describe it. But it was it was for the laughs. And, and Vito was such a pro going out there yes. competing in drag in a dress. And the, the funny thing was, is they had to blur it out. He was exposing his uh, his lower areas. <laughs> yeah. I'll just be nice uh, with that statement. And it just that was part of the the ambiance. I guess it's kind of a fancy word to say. I don't know if it's the correct verbiage to use, but it, anyways, uh, it, no. that's why it's kind of hard to describe. But it it was had its funny moments. But I'm glad they took it serious. Yeah. Of course, with Regal, uh, it was just unbelievable. But a credit to Vito. He was, uh, I think, underrated in a lot of aspects. Oh, big time. Yeah. And you have to, yeah, all credit to Vito as well, because um, he really took this gimmick. I mean, he he would do this today on an independent show if someone would book him because. And he could get it over, right? I yeah. believe. Oh, yeah. He did definitely get it over. I mean, he appeared in the SmackDown versus Raw 2007 video game. So. Um, that is that just shows you something. This gimmick was being pushed by someone backstage. Someone was invested in this. Rumored to be Stephen McMahon, but I it don't could know. have been. Yeah. And here's another <laughs> illustration, Danny. Is uh, that just goes to show you it's up to the the wrestlers to get some of these gimmicks mm -hmm. over, even if it's the craziest, goofiest gimmicks. Yeah. Uh, and that's a prime example of what Vito was able to accomplish, uh, coming out wrestling wearing a dress. I mean, it doesn't get much more uh, getting it or at least connecting it with your audience. I mean, that's that's why we're still having the discussion now. Big time, mate, big time. So next, Bobby Lashley here is quite is only about a year into uh, the WWE television. So um, 
I thought this poem I was excellent, to be honest with you, because uh, it was pre-taped. And at this point, Bobby Lashley was not comfortable on a live um, interview or like a promo in the ring or something like that. So something like this where they could do multiple takes. I enjoyed it. What did you think of this pro- promo? I think it was a, a good promo for what it needed to, you know, get across the point as far as getting it across. Uh, Bobby Lashley was not comfortable with promos. We still see him get better now. I mean, he's definitely got the look, got the skill, got the talent, and he's going to be a crown jewel against Brock Lesnar. But this was before he even went to TNA. This was the the first WWE run, and Lashley still had the it factor then. And But I like that it was simple to the point because he wasn't going to give you this uh, – this big long promo that wasn't his character gimmick. It it wouldn't have resonated because you wanted to be invested in the words he was speaking. So I'm with you. I think for what it uh, achieved, uh, he did a, a great job with it. Big time, mate. And um, speaking of achieved, we uh, have MVP making his SmackDown in ring debut um against a, a weird another mystery opponent because he comes out and i found i made a very interesting note about this is the absolute hatred that jbl was spewing big and i found this i wanted your opinion on this type because jbl was a heel commentator and mvp is a brand new heel and i don't understand the logic of a heel commentator burying a heel i mean what do you think about that I get what you're saying, the comparison, because I got to admit, most of the Hill commentators will praise, yeah. you know, more of your villainous uh, characters in wrestling. But JBL was not holding back. He did not have any nice things to say uh, during the broadcast about MVP. Yeah. I'm kind of <laughs> laughing just but, thinking about it, kind of yeah. replaying it in my head. Uh, but JBL, I think, to be the ultimate Hill, it depends on what kind of uh, of gimmick MVP was betraying and I think it comes down to that. It's the basics of maybe that that's the logic and sensibilities here is why JBL was uh, downing MVP so much because he was so arrogant. And it yeah. actually it helped get him over, if you think about it. Yeah, the, the sad thing is, a week after this um, is when JBL, uh, well, the decision creatively was made to stop burying uh, MVP from, from uh, whoever on commentary because... Um, I don't know. For, at No Mercy, it was, we had the same story. We had JBL Berry in MVP in his debut match, and I just thought that was so counterproductive. But at the same time, I can see your point as well, mate, because it's like it's if 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 you, it doesn't matter if it's negative, it, all that matters is the commentary is actually t- talking about MVP in the in the long run because they're actually giving him attention and then just. Um, yeah, just kind of like putting the spotlight no, on that, it. No, that's it. I mean, it, it's highlighting him. So whether it's viewed negative or, or in the positive light, I mean, that's the whole gist. At least MVP's name's getting brought up. Yeah. Uh, fans have a reason whether to cheer or boo him. And, and of course, they're not going to like him naturally because he is just so good at being, you know, unlikable, even though he's actually a very likable person in real life. But he's yeah. doing his job. He is, that's the gimmick. And, it was neat going back and seeing his debut uh, when mentioning referring to MVP here. So that that's one of the cool things about SmackDown, this episode in particular, and and No Mercy, all the, the stories that were getting conveyed out there in front of the cameras. Definitely, mate. And then um, out comes Teddy Long after. 
after a, a weird series of Power Ranger chants, obviously referring to his ring of tile. Right. Um, I mean, he couldn't get away from uh, looking like a no. Power Ranger. And I got to admit, that was funny because the way his tights and everything were did remind yeah. you of uh, if you ever watch Power Rangers or even just Google them, looked up the images. Yeah, MVP could have went as a Power Ranger gimmick. Definitely, especially if he had the trousers for it as well. But yeah, um, I mean that's another thing JBL was burying. Just is, I mean, everything about MVP was getting thrown under. It, the it didn't matter. JBL was uh, not going to show. Speaking of no mercy, yeah. he was not showing that to MVP. <laughs> Great point. Um, and then we have um, Teddy Long announcing that uh, if MVP wants real competition, he's going to get it, and out comes a freshly. Defeated from Raw, who lo- he lost um, to Umaga on the pr- previous Raw, so out comes Kane out of nowhere. Um, now there was room. I do remember about this time reading the internet, uh, the dirt sheets and things like that in school, and I do remember reading that Kane was actually going to retire after he lost to Umaga. So I don't know if, if that was a plan to kind of quote work the dirt sheets, but. Um, him showing up on SmackDown was really co- a cool surprise um, because everyone I, I, just if it you was read, yeah if you read the newsletters back then and things like that you would have thought Kane was off to retire there was even rumors that they were going to replace Kane with another Kane um, in a mask and things like that it was ridiculous but him showing up here what did you think about that Ty? I think it was a, a nice surprise because you know MVP had been running his mouth here comes Teddy Long uh, like you were just mentioning saying oh you want competition because that was the whole point MVP was saying there's no competition for me here and I think on the pay-per-view it was uh, probably an enhancement talent. It yep. wasn't an actual star. No offense to those guys. They they work hard and do their jobs, but realistically, yeah, he, he having Kane um, come out. No, go ahead. He, he wrestled Marty Garner at the pay-per-view, who was um, a known jobber. Oh, gotcha. Well, see, that I'm glad I, I've got you to educate me on that because I'll have to go <laughs> back and actually watch the pay-per-view. Uh, but it all correlated with what they were needing to accomplish here. And to have Kane come out, that pyro is always just legendary. He's a Hall of Famer. And uh, I like this angle. And uh, I'll tell you what, MVP was just so good at stalling. He was not ready. And he yeah. stretches and just everything, kind of like what Mr. Kennedy was doing, but even in a different yeah. way. And the way Kane chased MVP to the outside nails him, those uppercuts always looked uh, crisp. Mm. And then the big red machine telegraphs MVP into the ring post. MVP raced Kane's eyes, though, and escaped. So it, we didn't even get a match, honestly. We got a little bit, uh, yeah. enough to tease us with. And I think you brought up another just observant uh, opinion about the dirt sheets. I think they played the storyline to make it you know, a work where a lot of the dirt sheet writers would write up about it. Is this Kane's final match? Could he be gone? And then just for him to debut on SmackDown, because you would see that a similar pattern for Raw and a lot of their other programs, even even today. Yeah, you see that a lot today. And I think it's always a cool move, especially when people don't expect it. I mean, we had so many. I mean, uh, some, just to quickly divert, we had uh, so many, like even uh, SummerSlam, when we had um, damage control come out. Nobody expected that, did they? Uh, n- nobody did. And uh, a little uh, side note, I happened to be uh, in person live yep. in yep. Nashville. That cool. And that was uh, so cool. Because I, I didn't expect it. I'm glad I didn't read about it. I'm glad I didn't speculate or anything to that effect or degree to see 
you know, Bailey come out and then Dakota Kai, EO Sky, you know, because they had been released or not EO Sky, but Dakota Kai had a part of me. Uh, it was just unreal. What a moment. So, and now look at what they're doing on Raw and SmackDown and the, the premium live events. They're not even pay per views anymore. It's just remarkable. Really cool. Speaking of remarkable, we get a cool little video package of um, John Cena visiting the Marines. Um, I kind of was shocked about this, but I actually enjoyed it. But was this to promote John Cena's The Marine uh, movie, or was that the year before? I think it was to promote the Marine film. Because mm, uh, yeah. they were you know, having him do the training, and much respect to all the armed forces, to the, the men and women, because I, could, I couldn't have even made it through that. At least Cena could say he could make it through. But for him to even have a hard time just uh, shows you how tough those kind of uh, regiments are that they have to go through all the training even before war. So yeah, yeah. major respect. And we love our military. And like Danny said, I, I concur a shout out to all the countries, all the military uh, forces for keeping us safe and protecting us. So, and yeah, uh, you need to thank them. Uh, I've got to do better myself because they, they put their lives out on the line. So that's what I appreciated about WWE with their tribute to the troops uh, specials and John Cena doing the Marine, even though that was, Based off fiction, there was a lot of the reality that they wanted to honor, and that's why he went to Paris Island, South Carolina. That's a big-time uh, military uh, training uh, area in South yeah, Carolina. it is. Yeah, definitely. And um, then next we get uh, Rey Mysterio versus Jamie Noble. Um, and this match, to me, uh, I don't want to be too critical, but I felt it was slow because – the pre uh, Rey Mysterio had uh, gained into a heavyweight at this point because he was wrestling for the world championship and he was a former world champion at this point. But two years before this, maybe even three years before this, 2003, these two were wrestling and they had much more like a much more speedy type cruiserweight tile type of match. So, um, what did you think of this match first, Ty? Oh, sorry, Ty. <laughs> no, hey, I can be sorry if you need me to. Hey, Ty works, Ty. <laughs> Call me. I, uh, I may be nasty next so week. <laughs> no, hey, listen, you do. You're doing a great job. I have been known to make a lot of errors, so don't feel bad. I, what I thought about the match, it was, uh, it was good. You know, Jamie Noble. You mentioned his career. Uh, he was aggressive. That seemed to be a theme throughout the program. Just yeah. aggression. Uh, and everything, and I, it was not a long match. I thought Ray did all his innovative maneuvers, and then Chavo Guerrero, Vicky before, and then, you know, afterwards setting up the match next week. The stipulation being an I quit match. If uh, Ray loses, he's got to leave. And I, I forget what Chavo had said after. And I even, you know, wrote down in my notes and still trying to get my memory jogged here. So forgive me, Danny. Uh, but you brought it up. I always liked Chavo and Vicky being heels. Now, was it a little too soon after Eddie passed? Uh, I think there's an argument to uh, be made there. But it is wrestling, and and they tend to blur the lines, whether uh, right or wrong. So they were still very uh, good in these roles, though. I, I had uh, forgotten about just how well both Vicky Guerrero and Chavo Guerrero did, you know, being yeah. the uh, heels against Rey Mysterio. Yeah, definitely. Um, I wasn't a big fan of this storyline uh, the first time I saw it, but um, I could. Uh, you can't blame the performers because they're just doing what the script says. And um, 
just this it felt a bit uncomfortable. But the match that they had the next week after this, the I Quit match, Chavo Guerrero versus Rey Mysterio, was definitely one of my fa- probably my favorite Chavo Guerrero match of all time because it is very very violent. Um, I'll have to check it out. Now you're making yeah. me go. I, I've got some <laughs> ideas. I need to go back just to watch as a fan, just to consume yeah. more and and kind of get a a better understanding of how these uh, stories were betrayed and laid out. Because I, I was honest earlier in the program yeah. that I there was a lot of wrestling I missed at a certain period of time, and it, it may have been even 2006. I was watching before, but I, I'm thinking it may have been within these years. I kind of took a break and was out of it a little bit. Yeah, we all do, mate. We all do. But yeah, later on in this year, um, after this Rey Mysterio feud, um, Chavo Grow ends up feuding with Chris Benoit, and uh, it, this very uncomfortable moments, and you know, including Vicky Grow taking several bumps on the yeah, it just makes you, makes you cringe a little bit that she's got to take those kind of uh, risk. Mm. But here's the deal: if they're getting paid under contract, like you said. They've got to do their jobs, and uh, it can be uncomfortable at times. Definitely. They signed up for it, though, so if they want to be involved, you you have to respect both sides of uh, that equation, so to speak. I do actually remember around this time uh, reading in those dirt sheets we keep going back to that uh, there was a rumor, and I'm really glad this didn't go through. That um, Chris Benoit was going to actually have his wife, um, Nancy Benoit, or AKA Woman, uh, involved in this feud with Travel Grow and Vicky Guerrero. And I'm so glad I that did not, that was uh, the rumor. No <laughs> that yeah, that's why I'm glad I got you here, Danny. You, you're educating me uh, a lot of trivial stuff. That's why I enjoy doing these kind of shows because even I, like so many, learn so much uh, vast knowledge from uh, Scottish Danny. Oh, thank you, mate. Thank you. But yeah, um, that, uh, that those little things just uh, stick in your mind and you're like, oh yeah, actually that would have been terrible because woman, we're going through it with, on Nacho Nuts with um, Sai. It's like she's brilliant as a heel, but as a baby face, that's something I've never seen. And I probably I haven't seen a woman. Yeah. For me, I, I would think she's better as the heel. Yeah. Definitely. So um, next we get a fun little um, kind of bonus match, isn't it? We're a six-man tag team match having um, Paul London, Brian Kendrick and Jimmy Wang Yang versus Casey James, Idol Stevens and Sylvain Grogne. Now, before we get into this match, what do you know what um, Sylvain Grogne's gimmick is at this point? I'm not sure. Now, I did know he was with La Resistance, was he not? Yeah, but he was. I, yeah, but he's now moved. Well, then he moved on to a male model, uh, and then now he's the ambassador of Quebec, which okay. um, is a very. Uh, uh, people always talk about, oh, will this make any money? I really don't think a, a gimmick like that would make money. <laughs> they forced it a little bit. Uh, now I could yeah. see when he was with the faction with the other, uh, you know, French Canadians, it it worked, uh, but. I was just going to point out 
uh, and this is probably terrible me to, to see Maurice introduce herself. I, I was like JBL and Michael. I was happy. I'm I'm almost laughing about it because I'm telling it myself. Much respect to the Miz. Uh, thank you for introducing Maurice to uh, WWE and also Michelle McCool and Ashley Mazzaro. In all fairness and seriousness, uh, I miss Ashley Mazzaro. It was yeah. tragic what happened, but what a lovely uh, lovely lady. I mean, they they were so attractive. I got tongue tied there. So help me out there, Danny. <laughs> Yeah, it's easy to uh, do that, but it's like, um, yeah, uh, Ashley being with, uh, they called themselves Lundrick at one point, combining Paul London and uh, Brian Kendrick. That's but, clever. It, it makes yeah. sense. <laughs> I, I don't know that I ever picked up on that, but. I think that was huh. later on or uh, at this point because they were team for, I think they had a good three years or four years teaming together. Um, sad that they're not on speaking terms these days, um, but yeah, they're teamed with Jimmy Wayne Yang here, and um, they're facing. Uh, do you know much about Casey James and Idol Stevens? I don't know a whole lot about Casey James now. Idol Stevens, mm. this what he would go on uh, part of me and be uh, with Miz. Wasn't that the same guy? It was yeah, uh, yep. Damian Sandow. Yeah, Damian Sandow. He's known as something else in the NWA, so it kind of threw me off. I was trying to make sure I remembered his right name for back in the WWE, but I did notice that. I'm like, huh, wow, that is who I think it is. And uh, it was a fun match. I mean, they start out in a brawl, six of them, and, you know, the Hills kept their opponents isolated. And Jimmy Wayne Yang uh, was creative with his offense and the moonsault by Yang and, and London and Kendrick, you know, they win the match. So it, it was a fun match. It didn't go long. Yeah. Nice little uh, bonus to break up all the seriousness of the Eddie Guerrero's name being mentioned. And Chris it's always Lepo. good to have some comedy thrown in there when you do have these serious moments. Uh, you got to yeah. have a variety a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Speaking of fun, we see a great Raw repack, repackage video of um, the previous Raw, which was, a, I believe, it was like a sort of anniversary show. But they It was it, like a family uh, reunion, yeah, family I reunion. think they yeah. called it. Yeah, yeah, and where it was superstars from Raw, SmackDown, and ECW at this point, where they were all combined together, and it, it was pulled a really, really cool show. I do remember watching that back in the day. Um, for the big shows like this, I would always tune in. But yeah, yeah it looked um, awesome. Speaking of Miss, he'd be proud. It, it was yeah. awesome. Uh, yeah, very <laughs> yeah. fun show. I, uh, I think Cena was involved. We saw the big show because each of them were champions. King Booker, Booker T, and uh, DX, and then Orton and Edge. I mean, just vintage stuff. That's when they were in that feud against DX and, and just showing highlights, Teddy Long, Paul Heyman. I think Jonathan Coachman with yep. Vince McMahon backstage. Just a, just a lot of uh, really neat things going on. Definitely, mate. Definitely. And then we uh, go to our main event now. So we have Batista versus Finley versus Bobby Lashley. And the winner of this will face King Booker next week for the World Heavyweight Championship. Now, what do you think about number one contenders matches directly after a pay-per-view? I don't have a problem with this. Uh, I enjoyed the match. I, I like how Lashley and Batista teased they were going to wrestle first and then turn on Fit Finley. And I, I must say, just like William Regal, I immensely enjoy Fit Finley, the Belfast Bruiser. I became aware of him, Danny, and Regal both in WCW before WWE. And to know how much work that the women's division credits Fit Finley was uh, so cool. I, a lot of facts I didn't know. And Fit Finley, you know, Hornswoggle interfering, that was always funny. 
Yeah. And they didn't call him that then. I'll, I'll let you, if, if you want to choose that. I just know him as Hornswoggle. They were calling him something else. But lastly, you know, him using that power slam was kind of neat because it reminded you of uh, the British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith, using that running power slam or some variation. There was just a lot of a lot of neat spots. So I'm going to let you uh, kind of highlight those, and then I'll, I'll kind of bounce off of you. Yep. So we... You're right. I'm I'm gonna refrain from calling him Hornswoggle or that other word because I'll just call him the future Vince McMahon's son. Oh, that is correct. Now I, I did get back into watching it when they had the uh, they had the paternity test and it was revealed at one Triple H. They, that was funny. That moment where him and Vince thought, "Uh oh, I'm married to your daughter." Don't tell me. Of course, storyline, but it still yeah. uh, made for some uh, compelling TV. But it was awesome. Hornswoggle. He became yeah. an honorary McMahon. There's that picture that somebody put Hornswoggle with the uh, the picture of Vince, Linda, Shane, and Stephanie. That was so funny. I was I was cracking yeah. up. I do love storylines like that. I mean, that was born because of the Chris Benoit tragedy. Um, Vince McMahon uh, was set to be involved in a storyline that where he died or he faked his own death, and they had to drop that immediately. So. Um, as a distraction sort of thing, it was like, okay, what can... And they made the right if, call, uh, yes. just knowing what all happened. Of course, they, they couldn't see in the future, but after mm. what all transpired, I mean, it's understandable. You had to drop yep. it and just oh, you know, not go that way, go in a different direction. Big time. And I'd only been watching it, um, I think, about two weeks ago, where I'd only found out that Vince McMahon actually explained on the air why he returned and why he faked his death. He um, did this because he said that his, he was facing uh, pressure from his family, that they wanted his money and things like that. I actually thought he just just kind of whitewashed it and just said, oh, it didn't happen, it didn't happen. But, yeah, um, that was really cool. But do you know who the original uh, ch- choice of the child was um, here? No, I don't. I, I don't know who was the original choice, but all the uh, Vince McMahon, uh, you know, backstory, is as you're laying it out, is making me wonder now. So thank you yeah. for that because that, that's a lot of detail. See, I, I'm so just uh, – appreciative that's why i'm putting you over danny because uh you're helping my memory <laughs> thank you man um yeah so it was so that raw where um hornswoggle was revealed as vince mcmahon's son was in green bay wisconsin and uh my that's my favorite u.s state by the way <laughs> um, okay yeah green yeah, wisconsin. bay wisconsin no, was, yeah, very historic um, wisconsin, town wisconsin. never been there believe it or not oh i'll plan to at some point but yeah that that role took place from green bay wisconsin and it was heavily heavily rumored that mr kennedy would be vince mcmahon's son but a week beforehand mr kennedy got himself suspended for violating the wellness policy so he was off so they had to and that altered uh, those plans yeah whenever oh, yeah, big time. Like that I mean, happens but that would have worked i mean mr kennedy is vince mcmahon's son but hey hornswoggle was brilliant too that was so yeah. funny yeah. Uh, and another point about the main event just real quickly I like that spot where Finley, you know, you see Nikki Cross use it so many, the apron spot where you catch your opponent and you just well on them, you beat on them a little bit. That was so uh, just innovative by Fit Finley. And the way that, uh, you know, it was Lashley and, uh, no, excuse me, pardon me, it was Finley and Lashley that slammed uh, Batista through the announce table. And and the whole match was solid. There were just certain spots I wanted to, uh, you know, discuss with you that I, I think they really stood out. Yeah, I mean, 
that is excellent as well. I mean, to be honest, um, a lot of WWE triple threat matches, you do see one moment where the two two of the uh, wrestlers will eliminate another wrestler, usually involving a table or a broke or like a weapon or sort of thing. But oh, they um, will. Yeah, uh, the one that always sticks out in my mind is um, when Triple H and Shawn Michaels um, took out Chris Benoit for uh, WrestleMania 20, and uh, for about five minutes they were wrestling each other. So it's always, um, but it's always good to see because it, it brings like sort of like okay, now these two wrestlers have got um, the spotlight on them, and Finley and. Um, Bobby Lashley had been working since February together in various matches. They'd been wrestling all year. So at this point, you could definitely see the improvement in Bobby Lashley. Oh, you could. And I think that's another testament to Fit Finley being that experienced veteran. I think it was good, even though Batista had been gaining exposure and in, in that star power that he possessed. Uh, Fit Finley, let's not kid ourselves. He was the guy yeah. that could polish uh, main event stars. He didn't have to be in the main event spotlight. He was. He it yep. wasn't that he wasn't a main eventer. Uh, of course yep. he was, but he could be mid card any match, and, or just be involved. You wouldn't even have to wrestle, and you get that shine from a guy like Fit Finley, or you could use Regal as an example. Anybody. Uh, to your point, yep. it's about getting the younger generation over these studs yeah. over and uh finley it didn't matter how big you were or if you were smaller than him and you might might have been tough uh the belfast bruiser was going to give you a beating i mean he could take the punishment and dish it out he was legitimately a tough guy big time eh? and that's the uh, theme i mean just before we get to the finish that's the theme of the entire night as i said earlier it was all about the veterans getting over the young stars i mean we had um kristen war even though he did pin Mr. Kendrick, he put him over big. Um, we had William Regal putting over Vito here. And we had um, this, the main event, where we had an established veteran in Finley uh, putting over Bobby Lashley, and then which ultimately led to the finish, which is a, I believe, was it a spinebuster to Finley? And then, it it uh, was, yeah. There yeah. were some spinebusters involved. And I think the finish also, Danny, uh, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't it a uh, Batista with the spear while Lashley had Finley up in the air? And then what happened is uh, I had it actually wrote down is that I think it was the Batista bomb. Yeah. That won the match. It was Hornswoggle through the chair inside the ring. Before that, it was Batista with the spine buster. And you, you talked about reference there and the Batista bomb on Finley and he won. And then we got the announcement afterwards. I, about the champions being uh, there next week. You have the uh, John Cena, Big Show. Big Show was ECW champion. John Cena, the the other champion from Raw. And then uh, they were going to watch the match between Batista and uh, King Booker with Charmel yeah. uh, that next week on SmackDown. So it, it sounds like to me the next week SmackDown's uh, probably just as good, excuse me, if not okay. better. Yeah, definitely. You've got the I Quit match and you've got – uh, Mr. Kennedy being angry in his reaction about losing the U.S. championship and a World Heavyweight Championship with the um, champions from other shows coming uh, to see. But, of course, that was to build up to um, Cyber Sunday where he had the champion of champions matches with right. uh, uh, the big show versus John Cena versus King Booker. Um, and the the uh, World Heavyweight Championship was on the line because the fans voted that. If that wasn't rigged, we're not sure. <laughs> well, we, we're not uh, certain uh, to your point, but either way, Cyber Sunday was a unique concept. Yeah. 
definitely and it's definitely something we could look back on here as well because um oh we could i mean that three wasn't there yeah there was at least a few of them yeah brilliant mate so yeah that kind of brings us to a close of uh smackdown and uh this show kind of um so we'll be back uh, next time um just before we go uh where can people find you on the internet um ty uh, they can find me at Dustin Tyler 86 on Twitter because I'm more active with uh, the wrestling content as we're uh, discussing now currently. And uh, just as simple as that in WrestleBuddyGeekBuddy.com. Uh, remember to put the .com afterwards and just a lot of neat stuff, cool stuff going on. And, and Danny, where can people find you? You can find me on the internet um, through uh, at Scottish Juggalo on Twitter. You can find me on Nitro Nights with the great Sire Powell. Um, and you can find me on One Man's Meet with the great Chris Bellis. And you can find me here next time where we'll be talking with the great Ty Peters. Oh, well, thank you. And the great Scottish Danny. I mean, I always like Scotland and England, so you get the best of both worlds with Danny. He's, uh, you know, he's brilliant. I mean, just listen to him talk, and uh, he's sure helping me. No, uh, we help each other, mate. We do. Uh, we do. But I, I want to definitely give uh, you a lot of the credit, and I, I'm just happy to make the tag to you and be a tag team partner. So I, I'm having a blast. It's been a lot of fun getting to talk SmackDown from 2006. Definitely, mate. And thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time.